1: Welcome to Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast.
0: Building things can be really hard, and entrepreneurship is often portrayed in the media as the sexy or even worse, easy career path. Through this series, we plan to pull back the curtain and tell the gritty stories of entrepreneurship. We're striving to create a relaxed environment where entrepreneurs feel free to tell their stories.
1: This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast.
0: Hi, I'm Jeremy Scheinwald, and here is my co-host, Miles Lasseter. and uh, welcome to the Smart People Should Build Things Venture for America podcast. Uh, we are here to tell you the stories. We're here to, to tell you stories of, of entrepreneurship, the gritty stories of entrepreneurs, Um we're hoping to to, uh, to capture all types of entrepreneurs, from the bootstrappers, the venture-backed entrepreneurs, and give people a a slice of life, uh, give people a sense of what it's like uh, behind the uh, the veneer, beneath the veneer of, of entrepreneurship, and, and learn what it's like to really be in the trenches. Um, something that I know that that Miles and I are both uh, both passionate about as entrepreneurs ourselves. And to the extent possible, uh, interview
2: people from different stages, people from different parts of the Venture for America community. We're both uh, involved at the board level with Venture for America. We'll interview people who are on the board. We'll interview people who are uh, donors, who are uh, existing Venture for America companies. Uh, We hope to interview uh, fellows and those that have left the program. Uh, So we want uh, people from all parts of Venture for America community or just friends of Venture for America community that have uh, been in the trenches and done it themselves and you know, looking beyond just the glamorous sound bites and try to get under to what the real story is and what it takes to build successful
0: ventures. Absolutely. Uh, I guess you guys should know who we are. So... Um I mentioned my name, I'm Jeremy Scheinwald, and uh, and I started uh, a company called MBA Mission many years ago, and it grew into a portfolio of student-related companies, MBA Mission, JD Mission, MBA Career Coaches, and M7 Financial. I won't go into a ton of description of them, but you can check it out at missiondrivengroup.com. Uh, we help people get into elite uh, MBA and law school programs. We help with student financing, and uh, and we also help with career, career planning. Uh, I'm a passionate uh, bootstrapping entrepreneur, uh, I've been with Venture for America from the very beginning. Andrew Yang, the founder, who I'm sure we'll interview sometime soon, described the vision for me, and I jumped on it right away. Uh, I was on the founding board, and, uh, and now I'm the head of the entrepreneurial board uh, in, in New York. And, uh, and I've been uh, you know, very passionate about the organization and deeply involved, even as a mentor, um, and, uh, and have been pushing for this podcast for a while. So I'm excited about it, and I, I, hope, uh, I hope that you all enjoy it.
2: I'm excited as well. Thrilled to be part of this. Uh, Miles Lasseter here. I'm an entrepreneur. Started uh, two companies. The first was Hire One. I started as a college student and grew to take that public uh, and ran that company for a little while um, as a COO, president, and later chairman. And I also along the way started C-Click Fix, a venture-backed SaaS business that helps citizens and governments collaborate to solve problems in the public space. Uh, along the way, somehow found time to Um, convinced my wife to marry me and have three kids, Um, and I've also joined the uh, Venture for America board, so very excited to be a part of Venture for America and part of this podcast. And today we're excited to have uh, Sharon Mendeson on with us. Um, She is today an advisor and angel investor, uh, and we'll get into some of that, but um, the thing that made her famous is uh, founding Plum Benefits uh, from scratch with no previous experience in entrepreneurship as a young person. Um, diving right in and building a company that sold um, a benefits program to human resource departments in companies, uh, representing 20,000 corporations through the HR department as a benefit offering to five million employees discounts and access to live events, Broadway, for example, shows, theater shows, sporting events, other family events. Then she grew the business organically. So she, as you mentioned, Jeremy, a bootstrapper uh, who grew the business herself and successfully sold it eventually. And we'll we'll talk through all of that. I think it's a really exciting episode today.
0: Yeah, she was a, she was a wonderful guest, and and uh, we really hope that you'll enjoy the interview.
1: This is smart people should build things: the Venture for America podcast. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast, a show about entrepreneurs and their stories.
0: Thanks so much for joining us, Sharon. And, and uh, why don't we start with just a very broad question um, or, or a statement, because there's no question mark in this. Can you just tell us about the – or there is now. Can you just tell us about the founding story of Plum Benefits?
3: Sure. So I had graduated from school and thought that I wanted a balance between business and creative and ended up at an advertising agency. And pretty quickly thereafter, as many, I think, first-time you know jobs – See themselves through. You're miserable. Um, it's not impressive, but I was I was miserable, and a wonderful mentor of mine said, "You really just need to go out and do things that you've never done before outside of your job." So I had grown up playing sports, and he sat on the board of a nonprofit theater company that was just starting. And he encouraged me to go hang out in this black box, you know, hole in the wall with a producer and a director. And I did that. And I stuffed envelopes for them in, you know, my extra hours, so to speak. And I truly found love. And love was a word that they were allowed to use in their offices, if you called in an office. Um, I was so inspired by their passion for what they were doing and the fact that they were working three jobs just to be able to do what they loved. Um, so I inevitably wanted to help them in some capacity. Um, so I tried to do anything and everything from standing up on boxes, uh, and on buses, and passing out flyers to people and talking about their shows. And inevitably, one day I decided, oh, I'm going to walk into my HR executive and ask her to send out this thing called an email, which was relatively new then, for a discount for the population of the company. And we sold more tickets through that email than we did through any of my silly shenanigans, you know, walking up and down the streets of New York. And I realized, huh, maybe I should do that for another theater company and another theater company, and quickly was calling on HR executives and quitting my job.
2: At this point, Uh, you were still only a few years out of school, right? So was your youth an advantage as you approached these HR executives and you got these meetings, or was it a disadvantage?
3: It's a really interesting question. I don't remember feeling as though it affected me at all, um, either being young or being a woman. Um, I think my youth was helpful in that and especially because I didn't have a serious career prior to starting the company, I think it was helpful in that I didn't have any preconceived notions of how this was supposed to go down. So I was really creative about my solutions, and I was obscenely optimistic. Um, but I don't—I I don't remember having any. I really don't. I don't remember having any uh, serious challenges. I, I do. I do have a couple of. Unfortunate or disgusting stories as a woman, but I kind of just set them aside and just felt sad. Really, in those moments, not for myself, but that anyone could um, judge in that way, and then just moved on pretty quickly. Um, yeah, so I don't, I don't remember anything in particular. I'm sure they were there. I, I just it didn't and, let it get my, in my way.
0: And and day one of Plum Benefits, was it just you? Do you, you you just totally by yourself? Yes. Uh, you and, and and emails and uh, and yeah. HR, HR directors.
3: Yes. Um, it was me, and multiple fax lines. To be honest, so this was you just reminded me of this story. Um, we at that time, we I say the the constant we, but I basically as a marketing effort realized at that time fax broadcasting was legal, and so I bought lists of human resource executives at you know thousands and thousands of companies and send out this fax broadcast and had, you know, three fax machines and was using, you know, my father's office's fax machine and my mother's office's fax machine, et cetera. So it was me, but it was not quiet because we got such a huge response in terms of the signups, which were coming back to me via fax, I'm really dating myself here. <laughs> and it was a perpetual. I'm telling you, I would wake up. I would all I would hear all night were these beeps, beeps of the sound of these faxes coming through with people, yeah, signing up. Um for like years, I had this this noise in my head. But it was a wonderful sound because it meant, business is good. <laughs> it was the sound of the cash register. <laughs> exactly. Ringing. Exactly. It sounds different these days. But then it was a fax, a fax, a fax beep. But pretty quickly, I ended up um, hiring some interns from Columbia and Barnard and schools in the area. Um, and, and to that, to that kind of zone of loneliness, so to speak. My immediate uh, response to people is, you are absolutely alone in that circumstance, and I really was, I had no other friends who were starting companies at that time. I highly recommend uh, seeking out other entrepreneurs. I joined an entrepreneurial organization that saved me both professionally and personally. It really drove so much education and camaraderie. Um, I think it's really important, not just in terms of building your own team, but seeking outside um, support systems.
2: What did you learn in that entrepreneur organization? Was it a matter of just seeing that other people had similar challenges, or were there specific things that you learned from other people?
3: It's so tremendous. It's The organization is called EO. It's Entrepreneur's Organization, and there's a large organization called YPO that you can graduate into, You know, depending on the size of your business. So first, I think it was that feeling of not being alone, um, of someone understanding why you're spending all day and all night on this passion. Um, which most of my friends truly um, didn't understand at all. Um, So the personal um, support that you get from a group like that in terms of the highs and the lows was tremendous. And then secondly, the literal content that comes out of organizations like that, um, it can be something a simp- I mean, it's not simple, but it's something as simple as understanding how to do your books, you know, if you never learned how to do that and you're a small uh, business. Um, and then it can be something as inspiring as a leader coming in and talking to you about leadership and values, et cetera. Um, the content is constant. It's international. Um, and it's just a tremendous education, really.
0: You described that you, you just said that you were insanely optimistic. Yeah. Um, was there, uh, were there any naysayers? Was there anyone, anyone who discouraged you from leaving a, a stable job to, to try something that was risky? Did you have a plan B? I mean, how, mm-hmm. mu- how much leeway were you giving yourself to 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 make it work?
3: Mm-hmm. I. I wish that this had had more forethought. I can't say I did. I really knew in my heart. I, I think you have to have a very strong gut as an entrepreneur. You have to listen really well, and you have to have a strong gut. And my gut told me I had to be doing this. There were definitely people. Again, most of my friends had, you know, gone off to finance or consulting, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and. This wasn't a, excuse me, atypical of my personality. So I don't think they were surprised in one capacity, but they didn't anticipate anything coming of it. Um, It was very funny because these same friends, you know, I didn't define my goals with Plum only through financial success. Um, But as we were, you know, blessed in having some of that, these same friends then started. You know, commenting like, oh, yes, now this makes sense, you know, but they still didn't get it. Um, So I would say they just didn't understand. And then there were definitely naysayers. There was one um, memorable moment with a um, very strong personality and successful entertainment executives who literally threatened me. Um, I was so excited when I got his call because I had cold called him. And he literally threatened me on the phone to the point where I was. Physically shaking, but after calming down, I realized, wow, I must be doing something really great if he's that worried about it. Um, So it was, you know, stories, stories, yes.
0: Wow, that was, and that was early on?
3: Oh, yes. I was still working out of my apartment. Wow. Yeah. Faxes in the background.
2: That is confirmation you're yeah. on the right <laughs> track. <point. laughs> so you also mentioned your friends, that your friends were not surprised that you were doing this kind of behavior. What, what does that mean exactly?
3: You know, it's, it's, I was always um, responsible, very responsible. But um, I always found my own path within whatever we were supposed to be doing. So as an example, I had an unusual college career. Um, I logistically graduated from Middlebury. And that is correct on my resume. But I went into school with a lot of extra credits. And by the end of my sophomore year, I knew I needed a new experience. And I knew my education needed me to leave the traditional four-year Even though, again, that was supposed to be the best four years of my life, you know, according to my friends who were in it then. So I left and I basically traveled and took classes all over the place for a year and a half and then came back and graduated with my class um, at the end of that time. And I truly believe that that time enabled me uh, to, again, meet people who opened my mind even on a career level That planted the seeds for my becoming an entrepreneur or having the confidence or stupidity (laughs) to go out on my own. Um, But again, I kind of jump off track, even though my resume always read as it was supposed to. So I didn't get any real negative feedback from anyone as I went. That's that's what I'm referring to.
0: So 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 far you've described uh, the occasional threat yeah. and uh, <laughs> and some interns and working out of your apartment. Yeah. So what's what's phase two? Moving into an office, I guess, and and uh, and, and hiring people full time. Yeah.
3: Yes. Um, and those those were you know awesome awesome times. So yeah, we moved into our first office. Um, that was a big deal. Again, bootstrapping. That's that rent is a um, scary line item. Period, and uh we buffered it by having a subletter to begin with i'm just i this is all coming back to me now and very quickly didn't need that subletter anymore which was great um and it's interesting i remember the second office we moved into had the same proportionate um fear factor as a line item but was like 5 times greater than the first office and um it was easier to swallow you know that time so yeah moving into offices starting to hire people um We had to be really disciplined around our numbers, again, because we... I still think you should be really disciplined about your numbers when you have funding, but it puts you in a very different mentality when you literally have to make every dollar drop to the bottom in order to be able to hire the next person, grow to that you know next vertical, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but people were the beginning, and if I, as mentioned it before, if I learned anything, people are the beginning and end of every single thing that I went through with that company. So we started with those interns in my apartment. We moved on to... Um, actors actually who were fantastic salespeople um, who needed you know to a, a job so to speak um, and they loved selling our service because they got to talk about entertainment all day um, and then slowly but surely we were able to afford some really spectacular people and we also had some spectacular failures as hires as well big lessons
0: were there were there any any those interns that made it with you the whole way or anyone from the very beginning that, absolutely yeah
3: Absolutely. Again, it gives me the greatest joy. So one of the actors um, ended up, we, I had to have a lot of conversations with actors at a certain moment a couple of years in where they realized or they thought they realized that they wanted to give up on their dream. And that's a serious thing to give up on. Um, I don't care how hard it is to make it. I did not let them simply say, I want a full full time. I want to make a commitment to Plum Benefits. We really had multiple conversations, like personal self-reflection moments where I wanted them to be sure, because I don't think anyone should give up in their dreams easily. And one of them made the right decision. And he, year in and year out, just, you know, learned more, did more, excuse me, did more was an amazing team player, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and just basically took over the entire side of the corporate business and was with me until the last day, was with the company until very recently. And um, he is a great friend. Um, I would partner with him in the next business that I have, and I am so proud and happy for his success.
2: So in these heart-to-heart conversations you were having with people, were you essentially talking them out of working for you?
3: absolutely because then That's I knew. That's a fascinating recruiting technique. Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you, you would recommend it. You could teach people how to do. I mean, I'm sure it builds a very strong culture. People feel like they have to work hard to be a part of the team.
3: You know what it is? I think if it hopefully influenced our culture at all, it was that I wanted them honestly to be passionate about what they were doing. And if that meant they were going to get behind Plum Benefits, fantastic. If that meant that they had something else outside of the office that, they, that was really their big dream, then we were going to figure out a way of um, finding a perfect position for them within the company so that they could still pursue that dream. Um, it was less that I wanted to make sure everyone was, it, it was mutually beneficial, I'll put it that way. But it was it comes, finding
2: what their passion was and, and aligning that
3: with the company's exactly. mission or goal. Exactly. Um, I don't, I, I know that there are people who are logistically successful who don't love what they do. Uh, I can't function under those circumstances. So I tend to attract people who, are looking for that type of environment and are looking to grow their careers in directions where someone's listening to what their strengths are, which are typically aligned with what they love or like, at least, um, and that we're giving them paths to go down that road rather than a box or something that's always A to B to C to D and kind of pre, predetermined.
2: So does that apply to you? Can you draw a line between what you love and... Plum Benefits and the the mission of the company? You said it a little bit, but not explicitly, so can you make it more explicit? Yeah, and
3: it's interesting because I, again, was less conscious when I was younger, uh, when I started, and um, when I look back, I think that there are through lines. So one, um, when I was at the advertising agency and even beforehand, I was promoting clubs and um, I realized I love certain business models, and I always need them to be um, about people, like getting people together, getting people. When I was younger, again, it was to go out, right? Then it was to get out there and explore entertainment. But it is a communal experience, number one, that I'm giving them, hopefully. And number two, um, in terms of the business model, I was going to clubs because they had, quote unquote, excess inventory at certain times of the night and needed to Uh, You know, push new people into those spots. Uh, My business model was exactly the same. There was excess inventory. We needed to put butts in seats and I had access to through corporations at that point a large network of people who were looking um, to go out. So I think um, I'm still attracted. It's like the Uber model. I'm so attracted to yield management in general over and over again and I'm attracted to marketplaces and I'm driven by the desire to help people you know enjoy themselves i know that seems really broad but
1: it's true this is smart people should build things the venture for america podcast welcome to play it a new podcast network featuring radio and tv personalities talking business sports tech entertainment and more play it at play.it this is smart people should build things, the Venture for America podcast, a show about entrepreneurs and their stories.
0: So, take us through the, uh, continue with the evolution of Plum. So now we're in an office. Yeah, we got some interns that are that are turning to professionals. Yeah, um, you know what what happens next? I mean, what, are, were there any risky hires? Any any major investments that you made? Um, you know, were you? Were you constantly checking the checking the bottom line every day, like that fax machine or the, right. the top line, I suppose, but also the bottom line every day, as you described throughout? You know, give us yeah. a little bit of that vision. Well,
3: in terms of that, yes. Um, I was very disciplined around the numbers. Um, I had a mentor early on, and again, I didn't have an MBA or background in any of this, who every Friday I would... Bring my numbers, and we would walk through them. And he taught me how to look at them as a story of what was going on at the company, not just from the numbers for the numbers' sake. So I loved the numbers, not just because they told me when we were doing well or when we were, you know, needed to address something, but because they actually drove a lot of my ideas, um, or at least knowing that we had to have a brainstorm in certain areas. Um, but because of that early discipline, as technology grew and as we could afford, you know, to have certain platforms in place that were giving me, yes, daily if I wanted hourly, I wouldn't say I was looking at them hourly, um, but daily for sure, weekly for sure, monthly for sure. There was a lot of disciplined action around looking at those analytics, um, and it was completely transparent, you know, to everyone at the company and accessible to everyone at the company. Um, I I think that was. I I don't know how you can be successful without looking at that.
0: Mm -hmm. I I unashamedly uh, look at at those numbers probably three times a day myself, so I'm (laughs) always interested in how paranoid people are about these things. Uh,
3: It's more fun, you know, Um, but if I got distracted by it all day long, I think, again, the discipline around the numbers plus listening to my team for the qualitative piece, um, you just keep your hand on the pulse, and if you don't have that pulse – um, you're I don't know what you're doing, but you're lost. I mean, that, that street piece as a bootstrapper, you stay so connected to the street. Um, you know, obviously you have to balance it out with kind of getting outside your business as often as possible. But I think it's, I think it's a blessing.
0: So okay, so so just going back to that that other train of thought. So so the again back to the you know new office. Any key hires that, that, that any any big risks that you can think of as you grew, or is it just sort of all steady and all made sense out of cash flow? Is there an inflection point where there was, there was like, an wow, inflection? We're doing there this. was
3: absolutely an inflection point. Um, it was a crazy year actually. I remember it well. Um, there, it was uh, when we chose to move into that new, the second office. I basically decided to take big risk, reinvest almost everything and outside of a buffer. Everything was about having that buffer. Um, and we remade the company. Uh, we went to an outside branding agency, we rebranded, we did tremendous research. What was wonderful, and what a lot of companies don't have, where I see them going to agencies now, they've got like three months of life behind them. We had three years, you know more. and we had so much data to be able to reflect on. Um, and we were able to do so many surveys of our corporate clients, of our entertainment clients of our end consumers, the employees. And it was really a that's what enabled us to understand the gap between who we were and what our you know plans were and fill in that gap in terms of our business strategy. Um, so we rebranded. We relaunched our site. We moved into new offices. We literally did, redid every piece of technology. It was a little bit of a crazy time period. Um, to be personal, it was a very difficult time for me um, in life as well because my father had been diagnosed with cancer and was very ill. And those are the moments. I mean, that was a good year of you don't know how you do it all. When you talk about sacrifice and then the opposite of that, like you just get it all done somehow. I was literally, I don't even know how many hours I was working a day and then going, you know, to see him every single day as well. And um, you, my partner at the time used to say, it's just eye of the tiger. You're so focused because you have, you have to be that efficient and you know what's important to you and you just get through it. Um, so that was talk about highs and lows, that was an amazing, amazing year. Lots of um, lots of celebrations at the office for the work we did and lots of learning on a personal level.
2: What gave you the confidence to bet so much and put so much back into the business, particularly with things happening in your personal life and so many pressures on you?
3: Um, you know, it's so interesting because people always ask that, and you've asked it in different ways today, I don't think I thought anything else could be done, if that makes sense. (laughs) There's just no other way. So if you have this desire to constantly be reaching your potential, or for the company to reach its potential, for your team to reach its potential, you have to keep growing. You have to keep pushing yourself. So that meant resources. And that was the same inflection point that we referred to previously around should I or shouldn't I have taken money? Should I have been absorbed by a larger company to help us basically grow? That would have been the reason behind that move. Um, So it was either we're going to do it on our own, we're going to maintain control, and I have to personally invest, or again, the company is reinvesting, or I go to the outside. And that was the decision I made. But there was really no choice about it. Otherwise, we would have also competition everything things and factors are going to change and you're gonna be gone um, I mean that's the way it goes so
0: how how deep into the into the history of the firm did this big decision come how many years in were you it was and- f-
3: uh, four years it was three to four years in that I made the decision. Um, to again really um, take some big risk, given our success at that point, it's a it's a long time on a venture road, so to speak. I had a very different timeline. I was old, you know, by the time I sold. I mean, people can't even understand. <laughs> no, it's like I get these looks that I, I owned a company for 13 years. Like, you, you're you dead by that point, you know. Oh boy, I'm um,
0: 12. I'm, I'm concerned. Yeah, about, you know.
3: <laughs> you're just fine. <laughs> but, you know, and again, I think there are just different ways and there are different lessons um, and there are different journeys and they have different outcomes um, I do wish, looking back, as I said, that I may what that money may have enabled me to do was learn faster, grow faster. I also may have been out of business because my, if we didn't hit everything at the right time, w- you know, our we we may have gotten the better of ourselves. Um, but I would have loved, personally, in that same period of time, to have been able to have had two companies, just so I could have applied the lessons of the first to a second, because I think that second time. Um, it's just you have so much more knowledge. It's it's invaluable what you learn in your first round. So,
0: were you were you able to pull back in the reins a little bit with time, or were you? Was it all just you know green light, go go go? The for those entire thirteen years.
3: No, it changed. Yeah. It absolutely changed because again, I learned, and this goes back to the culture. Um, I went on a vacation
0: <laughs> and um, seven years in yeah
3: exactly um, you know what, what actually taught me the most and this happened much earlier on because of those HR executives as our clients um, and I again inherently was learning about company culture something called 360 evaluations came up very early on and I again give myself credit there that I did put them in place when I had like you know five people I think and it, the feedback was uh, pretty frightening pretty fast in terms of how much growth I needed to do to go from being a disaster on a managerial level to hopefully a better manager and then one day striving for true leadership um, so I think you know when you hear some of the consistent feedback that I got it made me realize it took, probably took me longer than it should have but it made me realize that I needed to step back Excuse me. And I needed to stop that mentality <clears throat> of go, 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 not just for myself, but for my team. So if I had been raised in an environment where you're running an eight minute mile and then you go to a seven thirty, okay, great, now you have to go to a seven, et cetera, et cetera, and it's never ending. It's not healthy for most people, or even yourself, to function that way. So I think I realized to again give everyone a break to make sure. I always tell young entrepreneurs this: celebrate. You know, make sure you celebrate every single milestone, even if it seems small. Um, it's not just about that exit. It's not just about hitting whatever it is at the end of the year. It, every single success, and even sometimes the challenges, should be truly like celebrated. Um, so, no, I was that mentality, and I hope I changed it.
2: Well, here's to celebrating more. Yeah. So when you did finally get to celebrate that exit, what was the thing or the reason that brought it about?
3: There were a confluence of events. So, first of all, the flash sale slash yield management, all that whole kind of market had grown so tremendously, and there was a lot of activity going on. Um, and a lot of interest in companies that had been around for a while in that space. Um, So I knew that it might be somewhat opportunistic to go out to market at that point. Um, Secondly, and I'm very transparent about this, I learned, as I said before, I would have loved to have done two. I'm all about the experience. So I would have loved to have done two, and I knew that I was ready for a different medium. Um, to for personally to grow. Um, so the confluence of those two things, uh, and I wanted the company to get to another place too, and I thought maybe in someone else's hands it could it could get there. or if they brought in another leader, you know, again that that shakeup might be healthy for the company at that point. Um, so we went out to market. It was it was uh, not an easy decision to come to because it's your baby. Um, and again, after 13 years, I'm joking, <laughs> it's, it really was a huge part, if not you know, the majority of my self-definition. And I thought that was an unhealthy place to be in uh, as a person. So it was, I got lucky in the sense that, again, opportunistically and personally, the confluence of all those things came to me um, hiring a boutique bank and kind of putting us out there. Um, and we were, you know, I feel very lucky.
2: Was there anything that surprised you about that process as you were working with the bank and going through the sales process?
3: Um, you know, I wouldn't say surprise. I, I think I wanted to go through that process again. I didn't have an MBA. <clears throat> I didn't come from a finance background, and I appreciated what I learned um, from the from the team that I had assembled, what, my lawyers, my accountants, the, the bankers. Um, I guess what I always, ugh, I remember one lesson, actually, um, what I always am reminded of when I hired my first you know, high-level executive that didn't work out, that type of thing, I had it in my head that, I, that they knew more, and they do. Um, that I needed them and you do. Um, but there's something in your gut in certain moments, even if that executive has 20 years of experience, even if they come from you know, a much bigger company where they had, you know, huge teams, et cetera, et cetera, and you're only 25. Um, and the bankers had done how many deals, et cetera, et cetera. you know, I kept saying this to myself. There's a moment where your gut says, I'm not sure this is the right direction, or you're questioning one thing. And it took me a couple of mistakes, you know, with again some team members that I had hired at a certain inflection point in the company, and you only have one time to do your first big deal. So I there was a moment in the deal where I wanted to pick up the phone and call the chairman of the other company uh, because I knew I could make the deal. And the bankers really didn't want me to do that. Uh, and I listened to them. And when the deal was completed, you know, not all the details, but we basically were done. Uh, I couldn't believe this actually. the chairman whose office was very close to ours actually came over with a bottle of champagne and said to me, "You know, couldn't we have just done this on the phone yet, you know, over the past <laughs> few weeks?" And I was like, no, you know <laughs> I was like, no, this can't be happening to me because I think, I think it would have been a. I think we even would have had a better outcome for everyone involved, and it would have been easier, to be honest. Um, so you know, again, I hate it that I had to learn that lesson because the lesson of listening to your gut is so is so important. Um, but you know, it's not like in regular sales where you have. I didn't have 20 sales of my company um, to get to the right place. You know, so it's it's the reality of that deal.
0: And and you wanted to do the deal, but. Um, I imagine that your hand was trembling as you signed those papers. Was was that the case?
3: It wasn't. No. It wasn't. I was really, really happy with everything that ended up happening. I was um, truly excited about the next phase for the team. I was excited about the next phase for me. I felt like the company um, that was acquiring us had... A similar value system even though they were very very different company um, so I actually was really every we had a lot of celebration in fact it was four years ago as frightening as that is to the day on March 18th um, I left the company a year later but uh, March 18th and I still um, ensure that I celebrate that every March 18th
0: so 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 d- describe to us what you built on sale day where where were you guys as a company on that day
3: Uh, We were at close to 20,000 corporate relationships. We were, you know, some of this actually is still... Uh, they, they don't publicize their numbers. Oh. Um, but we were selling you know, millions of tickets. Um, and in terms of my team, this is actually a surprise to everyone because they think the company was always so big in terms of our infrastructure. But we, and because of how well-known the brand was, we actually only had 30 people. I and mean, it was a very, very, very small team. We also, again, because of the bootstrapping, outsourced a lot. Um, But there were only 30 uh, people logistically on our team. Um,
2: And what have you been doing since?
3: uh, So I took some time off and, excuse me, traveled. And then when I came back... Seven years worth of vacation. Exactly, exactly. Um, Had a blast. And when I came back... um, I knew that I wanted to stay in touch with the entrepreneurial community. So the scene in New York had grown so much um, in the time that I had, just about the time that I was selling over the past few years. Um, And it's it's a very welcoming community, especially, I think, to... someone on paper, you know, where they're looking for women specifically, I think, to uh, be role models today and who have started, built, and sold. Um, And again, I think that's on paper, you know, people have a lot to offer. And some, you know, that's not as big or as small as someone might see on paper. But no matter, I came back and was very lucky in that I was able to very quickly get involved with a bunch of accelerators as mentor. Um, I started personally investing um, in entrepreneurs that I believed in. I found a wonderful organization called Venture for America that I'm now part of.
2: I think I've heard um, of that and, one. And,
3: <laughs> um, and truly, they, that mission could not have been more aligned with everything I believe in. I mean, it is. Andrew and I share our story. I mean, our story is exactly the same. You know, where, where do you go at the end of school? Are you going down that path towards finance and consulting, and there are great things about that, or are you going to go become passionate about building something? And when he and I first met, um, and I think it all is outlined in his book, you know, perfectly, I... It, it was, um, you know, usually I think people are looking to seek out certain board members. I was like pitching Andrew, how can I get more involved, you know? So my, my life is still very much um, surrounded by entrepreneurs and looking at how to help now, just basically giving back. Um, actually, a wonderful mentor of mine, she is a woman, um, said to me many years ago when we were launching in Chicago, she basically she did so much for us there was no way I could thank her and I was really distraught over the fact that I couldn't thank her in some like tip for tat capacity and she said to me you know she's very blunt she didn't want to have the conversation she was like we're never talking about this again pay it forward and, and this was a very long time ago and I feel like my entire life happily is about paying it forward now to young entrepreneurs um, and other than that I just had a baby um, and I would say that that is my number one priority right now is my daughter
2: Well, congratulations on your daughter. That's amazing. Thank Uh, you. um, So you said that you're focused on that now 100%. And how does that influence your business life? And how how has that changed things going from one baby to another?
3: Sure. And that is what it is. Um, Except this baby is... uh, that much more important to me. So, you know, I say it out loud to women now. I feel so lucky that I have the choice, and I know a lot of women don't, but I do have the choice to prioritize my daughter and stay home, so to speak. And despite my commitments to Venture for America, another board that I sit on, uh, my advisory relationships. At the end of the day, um, my daughter is my priority. So it's it was very hard. She's only seven months old. It's still hard um, because I feel so committed when I say that I'm going to take on a responsibility. But I have scaled back tremendously so that I don't have that conflict. And I can do, again, what's in my gut. And my gut says, uh, I have to be home, period, uh, period. Um, I, I was referring to a quote um, a couple of days ago from C.S. Lewis, and I'm not gonna get this 100%, but he said, uh, children are not a distraction from more important work, they are the most important work. And I thought, okay, um, that's how I'm feeling right now.
0: That's great. What, uh, let me ask you this, this was on my mind when we started. how many shows did you see
3: oh during the
0: course? Did you get burned out on? I'm thinking to myself. It was one of two things. You either yeah. saw ten million or you yeah. saw one.
3: No, I saw ten million. I saw everything. <laughs> I saw everything. I went to every game. I was very lucky. But you know, people called it a perk. You you do get exhausted. You know when you're working crazy hours and you have to you know, have to you have to see everything that you're working on. And I, obviously, as the company grew, I, I, I didn't see every single thing that we were participating in. Um, but it was a wonderful, wonderful you know, problem to have. Um, and, yeah, I love entertainment. I still do. I haven't seen anything this season.
0: Would you, would you <laughs> sit at shows and look around and say, I know those people are here because of my company. Oh, it's I know those so, people are there.
3: It is the there. It is the best feeling. Yeah. Um, I hope every entrepreneur feels this way. But it really when it would happen is when you were at a dinner party. And people would be talking about what they do. Um, and I would never say anything about my role. I would simply say, oh, you know, I'm involved with this company, Plum Benefits. And then everyone would be like, oh, I love Plum Benefits. We got Plum Benefits at our office. And to see it in real life um, was just fantastic because, again, that's what drove me, just to know that people were able to go out more, um, that they were appreciating their workplaces and they were having a great time. I never took that for granted.
0: Well,
2: well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been really fun. Yeah,
0: so much fun. Fantastic to have you. Thanks so much for uh, for being one of the first.
3: Thank you for having me.